Henry Vaughan of the Metaphysicals has a real personal mysticism, a kind of vision of, of the other world and a vision of angels and the cosmos and so forth. And, and the world is really a powerful poem. And he weaves the natural world and the ordinary world of what he sees. Just an exciting poem. Go. Welcome to Faith and Culture, a production of the Augustan Institute. Every week, we explore the glory of the Catholic faith and the beauty of Catholic culture. And now, here's the host of Faith and Culture, Joseph Pierce. Hello, I'm Joseph Pierce, and welcome to another Faith and Culture podcast of the Augustan Institute. My guest today is my good friend, Father Dwight Longenecker. Father Dwight, welcome. Thank you. Well, there's been a theme that we've been following in various podcasts uh, with, with Father Dwight and what I might call uh, uh, my favorite things. These are a few of my favorite things. Don't start you? singing that song. Okay, don't start singing <laughs> that song. <laughs> you you wouldn't, wouldn't want me to do that, believe me, or any other song for that matter. So, But today we're going to actually focus on um, Father Dwight's favorite poems. So I've asked Father Dwight to select five of his favorite poems and uh He's kindly done that, and that will be the focus of our conversation uh, this morning. So let's begin with the first uh, of the selection, and that's a well-known American poem, uh, The Road Not Taken by, by Robert Frost. What made you choose this particular poem? Well, first of all, I think Robert Frost is a little bit neglected and, and undervalued. I, I really like Robert Frost because his poetry is down-to-earth. Uh, it's rooted in reality. It's rooted in real stuff. But he explores a lot of excellent themes and, and philosophies. And, and it's done in a ho- it's true. It's done in a homespun way. Um, but it, it, it very rarely descends into sentimentality and, 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 and uh, you know, tackiness. He's one of my favorites because he's, he's incarnational. He, he's, his poetry is rooted in real life and in his real experience living on the land and, and so forth. And his, that famous poem about the road not taken, you know, ending, uh, and someday ages and ages hence, uh, I shall be telling this with a sigh that uh, two roads diverged in a yellow wood and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. And I guess uh, that's something I did. You know, after college in America, I did something weird. I went to live in England with all respect to my, you as my English friend. <laughs> <laughs> that was certainly the road not taken um, to go and become an Anglican priest. Uh, and I had this idea of being uh, an English country parson and to live in a country rectory and to, and to um, enjoy the English countryside and to probably to write some poems like George Herbert, which is maybe a, a good way into my second choice. Yes, it would. But I would, before we do that, I would like to just mention that that, that this good f- friend of mine, the late Mitchell Carpagian, um, lived up in New Hampshire. I used to stay with him at weekends when I was teaching at Thomas More College. Right. He's a literature professor, and he had a great love and devotion for Robert Frost. Oh, we, did he? We'd go for walks out in the snow up there, you know, out in the countryside, and he'd be declaiming Frost to me. And he was really my education of Robert Frost because I'm very ignorant of American literature. Right. I, I met Mitchell on a speaking engagement at um, at a Clear Creek Monastery, actually, oh, okay. in Oklahoma. Yeah. He came there just before he died. Yeah. And we, we met and had a chat about, about uh, literature and yeah. all stuff. I didn't 
didn't know he was a fan of, of uh, Frost. Oh, a great fan of Frost. Right. He became a very close friend of mine in the, in the years before he died. But yes, yeah, so as you said, you know, the road not taken for you, uh, it's road less taken certainly is, is that you, from being a Bob Jones University uh, graduate, becoming an Anglican priest, moving to England and basically suffering from Anglophilia and wanting to be a, a country parson. Well, that again um, uh, brings us right into the milieu of your next two selections, both of which are English metaphysical poets. As you said, you like the idea of being a country parson, writing poetry like George Herbert. So, as you say, this segues very nicely into the poem by George Herbert that you've selected. Yeah, and George Herbert is a is a hugely attractive figure. He's from a, um, a noble family. He's studying at Cambridge. He's cut out for life at the court, and suddenly he abandons all that, and he goes for holy orders. And um, he's one of the, again, from one of the Carolingian divines, they call them, to the time when England, after the Reformation, was struggling very hard to try to revert to some of its Catholic roots without becoming Catholic, which is a struggle for so many Anglicans. And, and George Herbert decides to go and be um, a country priest in a tiny parish. And you can visit his church in Bemerton, outside of Salisbury, in England now, where he's buried. Uh, his rectory house is still there across the road from the tiny little church. And this is very attractive. And I, I wanted to do that, go to live in England and be a country parson and write poems and hunker down. <laughs> <laughs> and his his among his poems, um, Love, Bad Me Welcome, uh, for but my soul drew back guilty of dust and sin but quick-eyed love observing me grow slack uh, from my first entrance and drew nearer to me sweetly questioning if i lacked anything um it's a it's a beautiful poem just so simple in its in its in its feeling and so moving in his feeling when the humble soul turns back to the Lord and the Lord invites him in. It's also set to piece of, to music by Ralph Vaughan Williams um, in a choral selection of five of, of Herbert's poems, uh, again, which is really worth listening to. So Love, Bad Me Welcome by George Herbert. And again, we'll stay with the English metaphysicals because the third of your five selections of, uh, of your favorite poems is uh, um, The World by Henry Vaughan. Would you like to maybe tell us something about that poem? Yeah, Henry Vaughan of, of the Metaphysicals um, has a real personal mysticism uh, to him, almost like William Blake, um, a kind of vision of, of, of the other world and a vision of, of angels and the cosmos and so forth. And, and the world is, is really a powerful poem, which begins, I saw eternity the other night like a ring of pure and endless light, all calm as it was bright, and round it, beneath it, Time in hours, days, years, driven by the spheres, like a vast shadow moved, in which the world and all her train were hurled. The doting lover in his quaintest strain did there complain, and so forth. And he weaves the natural world and the ordinary world of what he sees um, into this uh, vision of the cosmos and the vision of the whirling stars. It's just an exciting poem. And he does this time and time again. Another one of his beautiful lines that he ends with is, uh, and here in dust and dirt, oh here, the lilies of his love appear. Uh, again, weaving in his faith uh, and the natural world and the supernatural world in the w way that only the metaphysical poets could. And, and it's uh, they're, they're the, the prime of English poetry as far as I'm concerned because of their, their spirituality and their faith. And a real humility that runs through all of them. Yes, and uh, uh, you know, you mentioned about how, the way that Henry Vaughan weaves the natural and the supernatural in into his poetry, and uh, that, that your next selection actually does the same thing. Because we move now from the seventeenth century with the English metaphysical poets George Herbert and Henry Vaughan, through to the nineteenth century with a Jesuit poet who uh, certainly T. S. Eliot grouped in in his essay on the metaphysical poets lumps. Uh, 
the next, your next poet, Gerard Manny Hopkins, uh, in with the metaphysicals. And certainly there are uh, connections here, not least of which is the, is, is the seeing the supernatural, if you like, interwoven in the natural world. So tell us something about your love for Hopkins in general, and then maybe tell us something about the particular poem by Hopkins that you selected. Yeah, um, Gerard Manny Hopkins uh, had a lot of connections for me. One of, one of them was, of course, that he uh, served for a time as a Jesuit in Oxford, um, at St. Aloysius Church, the yes. church that J.R. Tolkien went to. So in Oxford, there's so many of these connections. You, you go around the corner, oh, so-and-so lived here, and that writer lived there, and this writer knelt to his prayers in this church. And, and um, Gerard Manny Hopkins served for, I think, a year or two in Oxford um, at the church, which is now a church of the oratory, but was at that time a Jesuit church. Um, and Oscar Wilde also used to go there. And I, 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 I think it's possible <clears throat> he may have gone there when Hopkins was a curate. I remember, yeah, very possible. I, I remember on our pilgrimage in t- uh, 2015 or 2014, you and I led a pilgrimage to um, England uh, on the English martyrs and the English literary figures. It was a wonderful time, and we said Mass in, in, we in did, that church. We did, and it is a wishes. very, very beautiful church. And um, uh, Hopkins also, of course, then is a convert to Catholicism from, from Anglicanism, and his tragic received into the church by Newman himself, yes, Saint John by, Newman, by, 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 in eighteen sixty six. Saint John Henry Newman, and um, he suffered terribly. Um, a very sensitive soul, and was sent to some of the hardest um, parishes in Liverpool and in Dublin uh, to serve as as a curate. And there's a story in his biography of how he was preaching a, a sermon, which was very poetical and very sensitive. But it was to all these working class Irishmen in Liverpool, and they sort of laughed at him and hurt his feelings terribly. Um, but his poem "God's Grandeur" captures that same intermingling of the natural world and God's grace and God's love and God's beauty welling up within it. Uh, again, it's a deeply moving poem in which he sees the the natural world all around him, of which he he must have been very hyper attuned to the beauties of the natural world in a way that I've sensed that that most of us aren't. Uh, He had this very sort of intense um, sensitivity to the beauties of the natural world, which he captured in his poetry. And the fact that he died young, uh, serving as a priest, uh, in, 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 died of typhoid, I think, because of bad sewers in, in the house, dilapidated house he was living in. Just a terrible story. And only recognized, poetry only rec- recognized uh, much later after his death. Well, that's the whole the thing, is that he had no idea that he would become such a popular poet. Um, he lived in obscurity, um, convinced that he was a failure, you know, as a poet and a failure as a priest. And, um, you know, we, we know about his terrible sonnets, um, you know, where he's re- feeling very dejected. That, yes. he, that He wants to serve the Lord and feels he's been given no talents. Yeah. And, of course, in the divine symmetry of things, <laughs> you know, please God, he's in heaven now. In divine symmetry of things, of course, he had great talents. Yes. And as part of the, uh, part of the, the comedy is that he was not actually going to know about the success. And his poetry you know? was radical. It still is. It still reads in a very radical and revolutionary way, the way he used language. He uh, he certainly took the road less traveled <laughs> and and stepped out in this courageous way, as did George Herbert uh, and, and these other men. And I think that's why they, the poetry moves me so much, because the lives of the poets are also um, those of, of great heroism. They, they did walk a different path. They suffered for it, um, uh, and, and it came through in the poetry and the greatness of their writing. Yeah. So again, God's grandeur, that the world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will shine out like shook foil. Um, so it gathers your greatness like the ooze of oil crushed. 
Yeah, there we go. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Jeremy Hopkins's poetry in general and God's grandeur, the one that's selected by Father Dwight in particular, which takes us to uh, to the fifth and final selection. Uh, and uh, you know, somewhat appropriate. And I'll let you you wax lyrical on it, but it's actually by T. S. Eliot. And and as you are an, an, an American who got Anglophilia, went to England, and then came back again. And I'm a Brit, I'm an Englishman that came to America. T.S. Eliot, of course, uh, is someone who did something very similar, an American uh, from St. Louis, Missouri, who went and lived in uh, England, and, and but he stayed there. So uh, there is something of a hybrid, if you like, in T.S. Eliot that both of us have something of, those that have straddled the pond, so to speak. So tell us something about um, your love for T.S. Eliot in general and the, the poem that you selected by him in particular as your final selection. You know, I have this weird thing about T.S. Eliot. Um, I can remember very, very clearly um, in the annual year, the 1965 annual World Book, um, sort of annual that comes out, the uh, update of, of the encyclopedia set came out. We had we had these in our home. And I was, um, 1965, I would have been, I guess, um, 11 years old, 10 or 11 years old. Anyway, I, I read this <laughs> biography of T.S. Eliot. In the in the annual in America in 1965, and any other boy would have been captivated by I don't know collecting baseball cards or whatever. <laughs> this how weird is that that a ten year old American boy was captivated by the story of this guy who went to England well, and became a poet. We all know we all know you're weird and we love you for it. Yeah. Right, so, sorry. <laughs> so, but it it did. I can still remember very clearly being captivated by the story of this this American who went to England and. Um, I wanted to do that too, and it opened up for me to do so. Uh, and so T.S. Eliot always, has always had a um, soft spot in my heart. Again, he took the road less traveled, suffered for it, um, and, and had a, a very dark times himself, but came through it um, as a, a convert, not, not ultimately to Catholicism, Roman Catholicism, but certainly to a very Catholic understanding of, of his Anglican faith uh, and a very Catholic spirituality, very much appreciated Lancelot Andrews and uh, the metaphysical poets and um, wrote from that great experience. And Little Gidding really draws all those things together because Little Gidding is a a tiny little farm hamlet um, in Huntingdonshire, just sort of south uh, west of Cambridge. Um, and I traveled there when I was at Cambridge and, and visited Little Gidding. It's just a church in a farm field with an old farmhouse now. and But it was, um, during the time of the reign of Charles I, uh, the, um, a little religious community that George Her- that uh, George Herbert actually visited. He was friends with them as well. And the community there is the focus for uh, Eliot's poem, which is the last one in his uh, great four quartets. And in Little Gidding, he gathers together the different strands of his own life uh, and his own spirituality and draws them together in this beautiful poem, which is an homage to England and to history uh, and to Catholicism uh, in England uh, and ends with the beautiful words that we, we shall not cease from exploration and the end of all of our exploring will to be arrived where we started in another place for the first time. The unknown remembered gate, um, the voice of the hidden voices hidden in the waterfall uh, and so forth. And it ends with... Uh, the words that um, the rose, the fire and the rose will be one. When the rose is entwined in the, in the crown, not a fire, and the fire and the rose are one. There's a sense of unity and mysticism in Eliot as there is in Henry Vaughan and in George Herbert uh, and in Gerard Manley Hopkins. A mysticism, uh, a love for 
nature, a love for history, a love for the Catholic faith, which runs through all of them. And I think that's the connecting um, strand that connects all these pearls together, if you like. Uh, and uh, we've only done five poems. I could probably do another 50, but those are the ones that, which touch me the most. Well, we can always come back and discuss more poems. There's a great wealth of great poetry that's been the world's been blessed with over the centuries and we certainly can return to that but uh, father dwight thanks so much for joining me once again thank you it's been great and uh, i've been your host here on another faith and culture podcast with the august institute uh, i'm joseph pierce thanks so much for joining me please do join me next time until then goodbye and god bless Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Faith and Culture with Joseph Pierce. Faith and Culture is a production of the Augustine Institute. For more information, please visit us at faithandculture.com.